1: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today.
2: One of the big questions is, what
1: is money?
0: For practical purposes, it exists in a series of uh, heterogeneous databases, very different databases. Do
1: you believe in crypto?
2: Digital currency may be an answer to you. It is the highly respectable asset.
0: Uh, I do up in Bitcoin.
2: There is no second best. Welcome to the Crypto Curious Podcast, designed to help you navigate the dynamic world of cryptocurrency. We're here for anyone who's interested in crypto at all, maybe you've already dip your toe in the water, or maybe you don't know anything about it, and this is the very beginning. But we recommend heading back to the early episodes to get your footing. However, if you think you're ready to dive in headfirst, then let's do it. Coming up in this week's episode, we're talking about the hot topic of crypto regulation. We're also going to have a look at a recent survey from here in Australia that's got some really interesting results. My name's Tracy, and this week it's just Blake and myself. Craig's off on some secret squirrel business. So, hey Blake, how are you going?
1: very well how are you trace
2: yeah really good we're going to start off this week with some stuff that I'm glad that it's me and you to talk about cuz I think you're a bit more across this than than both Craig and I but last week we spoke about some regulation stuff because the news had just dropped at the time about ethereum being treated by the SEC as a security and we said in that episode that we'd we'd come back and maybe speak about it a bit more and be a bit more clearer on it. But then when I went back and had a look at it, there's really nothing to kind of round out or be clear on because, again, it's just them coming out and saying, we're going to look at it. We, We don't know how to act right now. The SEC is, again, just saying that we're not clear on how we want to treat ethereum and it all comes down to that that those principles of the how we test and again this is just the start and i kind of wanted to have this conversation with you because i feel that that this narrative of regulation is probably what we're going to hear about for the next 12 months and beyond do, do you feel that way
1: yeah so it's really interesting because the sec came out a couple of years ago and declared that Ethereum wasn't a security, mm. and now you know they're circling back on that decision. So it makes you think, you know, what's re- what are the internal pressures that the SEC has that are forcing them to relook at it? You know, is it internal stakeholders that believe that you know that the initial decision was incorrect, or has new information come to light, or are there other pressures from other government groups or other external groups that are putting pressure on them? To move into that direction. But, you know, the key aspect of the Howie test that Ethereum may fall down on is its element of decentralization. Mm. You know, when Ethereum started, it wasn't very decentralized. You know, it was, you know, a group of guys in a room developing, <laughs> trying to get, trying to get this platform up. Mm. Uh, but now, you know, it certainly can be argued that Ethereum is decentralized. So, Yeah, I think these organizations and these regulators are really trying to mark their territory. Mm, Okay. Because at the end of the day, if it turns out that, you know, the SEC is the regulator for all crypto assets, it's going to mean a lot more funding for them, you know, to grow their organization.
2: Okay. So there's funding involved, that does change everything. Okay, well, look, you've just mentioned there that things may have changed and that rolls on to this next story that's come up in the last week. The International Monetary Fund, or the IMF for short, highlighted some potential issues surrounding the new proof-of-stake approach to blockchain infrastructure as part of a recent paper. So that's obviously what Ethereum has just moved to. So it's making suggestions for a regulatory framework that could um, limit global digital asset risk. So it's looking at risks around how this all works. So the paper touched on how this new proof of stake could create an excessive concentration of decision-making powers on crypto exchanges and wallet service providers, which may increase market integrity risks despite the potential energy savings. So basically what it's saying is that it's really great that we've moved to a more energy efficient way of doing things with proof of stake. But what we see here is there's risks when we've moved to this. So Ethereum, for example, has moved to this proof of stake. Stake, but they're seeing it because we've now got a risk of staking and it's all moving to this one pool. So, am I right in what I'm thinking here, Blake?
1: Yeah, no, definitely right. But, you know, I think the IMF is really just giving its two cents worth. You know, it doesn't really mean very much. They're not involved in decision making process, you know, with the Ethereum Council. They're not involved, you know, in the development process or designing the game theory scenarios. They're just commentating here, and I think they're just saying, same because they feel as though they need to be saying, same
2: Yeah, right. So really they've got no pull. So they don't give commentary to legislation or anything like that.
1: They're not, they're not regulators. They can influence policy, but...
2: That's what I meant then. So they can't actually influence any kind of policy at all. Well,
1: they can influence policy, but... You know, just in a small way. Okay. And as, as we can see, everyone's putting in their suit two cents worth mm-hmm. to influence how this sector evolves because it is going to affect these different organizations. Mm-hmm. However, at the end of the day, you know, you have some of the best developers, the best game theorists and the best economists working with the Ethereum foundation to develop, you know, the infrastructure of the future. And these guys, you know, are becoming, you know, potentially could become less relevant as this technology um, matures.
2: And another story, yet again, this this week in regulation, this conversation is around DeFi or decentralised finance. So regulation of the decentralised finance sector once again, coming in the spotlight with um, central banks. So f- the Federal Reserve's Jerome Powell and a bunch of his banking mates all agreed that broader regulation is warranted when looking at DeFi. And they cite one of the big problems that DeFi has in its current form is it's basically about self-referencing transactions that's not tied to real life transactions. And it goes on to talk that DeFi applications facilitate borrowing, lending and trading, but the intermediaries are also exposed to transactional risks such as liquidation and leverage risk, and that DeFi has no infrastructure to deal with that. So obviously, they've gone on and mentioned the lunar terror incident, um, and they believe that DeFi will expand and start to touch more and more uh, to retail customers, which is why they believe that there really needs to be more appropriate regulation in this space. This was a really big announcement this week, and there are about four or five different articles on this that I read. It was Powell, and there was also a guy called McGinnity from the um, European Central Bank who weighed on this big time. But it really read like the horse had bolted here, and they there was regulation that had to be brought in here, but it it, it sounded like they were going to have to work on this for years. How do you think this will play out, Blake?
1: Yeah, there's a few components to that, I think. Firstly, there does need to be more regulation to protect consumers. But, you know, by nature, decentralized finance is very hard to Mm. regulate because, you know, you could be interfacing with a protocol that's offshore that does a particular function that, you know, regulators just can't reach, like a Uniswap, for example, Mm. right? So secondly, I think that, you know, the industry – the good actors in the industry self-regulate. We're seeing the quality of products that make a DAO have put out and they've really thought about how your liquidations are going to affect their user base and and their customers and they've done an amazing job at it you know there's no surprises when you're using makerDAO um but when you're using you know these really speculative protocols like um luna then you know crazy stuff can happen because yeah. it's really pushing the edge of what's possible so you know i think there's there's a certain element of regulation, but you know what's really going to steer this industry is um, self-regulation, I think, because um, of the decentralised nature of it.
2: So the people that want to do the right thing. Yeah. Mm. I guess that's why they're saying it's going to take so long for this kind of thing to play out. Look, I think the regulation talk, it's going to be ongoing and it's going to be something that we talk about a lot here and we will keep you up to date with that as it plays out. So let's move on to our next story. Our Powers over at SwiftEx commissioned their annual Australian crypto survey and the findings are pretty interesting. So over the next 12 months, 26% of Australians plan to purchase cryptocurrency for the first time. So that'll bring the total crypto ownership in the country to over 5 million, which is Pretty huge. So, of those Australians planning to buy crypto over the next 12 months, these will tend to be millennials or Gen Zs uh, or Aussie parents who are working full time. So, I think those boomers maybe, maybe the boomers will like the bamboo app, slowly dip their toe in the water a little bit. But one of the other interesting findings for me was the report found that those who identify as female were better investors based on average profits. But the report also showed that there were far less women actually buying. Crypto, so 40% of Aussie men hold crypto, and there are only 18% of women uh, holding crypto. So, nothing there surprises you, Blaine.
1: No, not at all. But it's really great to see that you know, crypto exposure is almost ubiquitous as you know, equities exposure outside you know the SMSF mm. realm. So, about 10 million Australians have equities. Um, outside their SMSF or stocks, and if we're, you know, going to hit half that in the next year, I'm really excited just about the next few years and the adoption curve that we're going to see.
2: It's a big number. It's pretty. It's pretty cool. The survey also touched on the fact that. I thought this was really interesting, that crypto spending has increased over the last 12 months with 53% of crypto-owning Aussies reporting that they've actually used their crypto to make purchases. I think I'd be holding on to mine, but I thought that was pretty interesting. You can use it. I think you can spend at the moment on, um, what, Amazon? Where else can you spend your money?
1: Not too sure, but I think, you know, certainly the adoption of the Lightning Network on Bitcoin has made this more Mm. possible. You know, over the last 12 months, no one wants to buy you know, a small item with their Ethereum because Mm. of the fees, and no one wants to buy anything with Bitcoin because of the block times, how long it takes to Mm. for a transaction to process. But now, you know, a lot of wallets have integrated the Lightning Network. Um, for small transactions, it's just going to make it easier and easier for people to spend their their crypto on everyday purchases.
2: It also touched on the lack of effective regulation remaining the key barrier to market entry for the, those non-crypto users. So yeah, if we could hurry up and maybe get that token mapping exercise underway, that would be great. So we'll see if that's changed. So looking forward to seeing um, the differences to next year's uh, survey. We'll move on and have a look at our next story, which is about Strike. Uh, Strike is a digital wallet that relies on the fast version of Bitcoin's network, believes that they can do something that no one else has done in half a century, which is challenge the credit card giants, Visa and MasterCard when it comes to those everyday payments that Blake and I were just talking about. The Chicago-based company on Tuesday announced an $80 million raise to further those ambitions. Now, Strike CEO Jack Maulers is a bit of a gobby lad, and he's been calling the dominance of the credit card firms uh, monopolistic and (laughs) anti-American. The funding round was led by 1031 and joined by New Investors Washington University uh, in St. Louis Endowment University. So apparently he's going to take it on. I don't know whether $80 is enough to actually get this done. Blake, can it be done? What are your thoughts here?
1: Well, often what we see is these companies do multiple funding rounds to achieve their long-term vision. You know, taking on Visa and MasterCard is, you know, I'm sure hundreds of companies have tried this previously, but they have such a market dominance, it's going to be extremely difficult. And, you know, what's to say that... You know, Visa and Mastercard just don't utilize the same mm. technology that Strike does, and and run dual rails. You know, why would they risk being disrupted when they could develop the same, you know, similar system? Now, I've seen the Strike app, and you have your know, you can transfer money to your friends, and you can save crypto um, in the US, and it has a card attached to it. But, you know, if you want to go to the checkout at the grocery store and use your card, you know, you're not going to be using the strike network. It's, you know, still going to be funneled through the Visa and MasterCard network. So I don't know how they're going to solve that problem because they already have, you know, Visa and MasterCard had the physical distribution of the point-of-sale systems.
2: Sounds like those ambitions are quite lofty. We'll, we'll see how that see how that one goes then. Good, good for a pitch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We'll see. Look, it's good to see that someone's taking him on, though. Uh, you've got to have a bit of bravado to do it, and sounds like Jack's the man to, to give it a go. On to our short, sharp news bites for this week. The saga continues with the man behind Luna, Don Quan. Is that how you even say his name? That's how I've always been saying it. Do Kwao. Do I don't really know, but I'm just going to
1: pronounce it as a Do Quao.
2: Do Okay. That guy behind Luna... <laughs> So, South Korean authorities have requested crypto exchange OKX and KuCoin to freeze 3,313 Bitcoin reportedly tied to this man, the co-founder of Terra Luna. So, Kwon, who is currently on the run from the Korean authorities, reportedly created a new wallet on September 15th, just a day after the Korean courts issued an arrest warrant against the fugitive crypto founder. So, on September the 26th, Interpol issued a red notice against Quan, uh, confirming his fugitive status. So this is a funny one because they were debating whether or not he was actually a fugitive or not. So despite all of the evidence against this, he's out there tweeting as well. Apparently, he did a really funny tweet last week saying that he was off for a jog, indicating that he was on the run, which isn't funny because, you know, he's a dodgy dude. Everyone lost a lot of money. That's a lot of Bitcoin that's been frozen there.
1: Next up, we have the Disney brand who are diving deeper into NFTs and the metaverse. And I don't think this is mm. any surprise to anyone. It really, really fits their brand and the type of products that they have in the marketplace. And the entertainment giant is looking to hire principal counsel specializing in NFTs and metaverse. Now, obviously, this is a nice industry, so it'd be really interesting to see who they you know, bring on board, but they're going to push more aggressively into Web3. So uh, it's great to see these guys coming into space and they're going to bring a lot of money and a lot of people into the sector.
2: Next up, we've got Christie's and they've launched a new on-chain Ethereum NFT marketplace called Christie's 3.0. So Christie's, as you might've heard already, had made a big splash into the NFT market space, most notably auctioning Beeple's everyday first 5,000 days artwork. Uh, that was 69,000 back in March. March of 2021. So they're fully embracing the Web3 decentralization. And the reason that they're doing it is this way now, all transactions are actually taking place on the Ethereum blockchain. So earlier, you could do this in the metaverse, but then the transactions still took place uh, off-chain. So now what they've done is just they've put everything now on-chain in the marketplace in Christie's 3.0, which is pretty cool.
1: Have we explored that idea, Tracy, on-chain and off-chain transactions?
2: I don't think we've gone deep into that. No, Blake.
1: Often when you do a transaction on, on one of these blockchain networks like Bitcoin and Ethereum, we call it an on-chain transaction. And this needs, you know, several confirmations. It can take some time. It costs a lot of money. But, you know, what a lot of layer two products do is have off-chain transactions and then periodically, um, settle on-chain, you know, say every 24 hours or once a week or or whatever. And this creates a lot of efficiencies and costs and handling transactions within a particular ecosystem. So when we say on-chain transaction, it means, you know, it's happening on on the blockchain. Off-chain means it happens, you know, on a private ledger, and then periodically it will be settled on-chain.
2: There you go. Hopefully that clears everything up for everyone.
1: And next up, we have a big brand merge, Walmart is launching two new metaverses in Roblox, and it'll be focused on fashion style, beauty, and entertainment. So, you know... it's going to be interesting if people are attracted to this or not. It's an so, odd one.
2: It's it's a really odd one. Yeah, yeah.
1: I think what we're going to see is everyone trying to have a crack at getting some real estate and and, and building products in the in these spaces, and you know, not all of them are going to succeed. So, yeah, we'll, we'll watch.
2: I just thought that thought it was a kind of weird partnering though, Walmart and Roblox, but maybe it's the demographics. We'll see. This is a really cool one. Chicago Bulls, one of the most iconic basketball teams of all time, home to the second best player of all time, Michael Jordan, hashtag LeBron forever. The Bulls have had the the same logo since the 60s and wanted to try something a little bit different. So they teamed up with 23 Web3 artists to recreate the logo with their own style. So each of these would be turned into an NFTs that would be auctioned off to fans, which happened and it was a huge success. Go and check those out. One of my favourites from Vivara, Alay, um, she did the Flower Girls um, NFTs, which I'm a holder of, and she did one and it looks wicked, like completely nothing that you'd expect. So go and have a look. They looked really cool.
1: Yeah, I definitely can't wait to check those out. They look awesome. Yeah. Next up, we have Sam Bankman-Fried, who's the founder of FTX. He just won an auction for the fallen crypto app Voyager in the US with millions of users. And they brought all the the product, the users, the the debt- for $1.4 billion. So, this is a massive win for FTX. It creates so much network effect in their ecosystem. And it just says to me that these guys, uh, you know, could potentially end up being the biggest player in the ecosystem if they keep this acquisition spree up.
2: And look, it's deep into a very brutal market, bear market for the NFT space right now. But that doesn't stop a few big things happening. So, CryptoPunk number 2924, one of the only 24 highly sought after Punk Apes has sold for 3,300 F or a cool 4.5 million USD. That's just madness. But the seller brought this punk two years ago for 150 F, 71,000. So that is a nice bit of profit or turnaround for two years.
1: It might be worth noting that, you know, what we've seen in the NFT space is a lot of the lower level NFTs. And the volume has substantially reduced and they're just not clearing or selling but you know what we see here is the premium nfts are still you know going for record sums so you know, definitely a two-speed economy here and differences in the marketplace And finally, we'll just quickly mention that there's going to be an Australian pilot of a central bank digital currency. Now the RBA is going to do an EAUD to commence in mid 2023. I haven't looked into too many of the details, but I'm sure we'll um, report on, you know, what comes to light. But it's really going to be interesting to see what, what chain they use, whether it's Ethereum, whether it's a private chain. You know, I'm sure many, many groups are bidding for the opportunity to be involved in this pilot. And, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see. Who participates in the pilot? You know, which banks, you know, which big businesses, um, how they use it, you know, how smart contracting comes into it. Um, because this is really going to set the context for the future of commerce, um, in Australia and, and potentially, you know, elsewhere. So.
2: Yeah, that's a really interesting story. And I think, you know, once we do know more, we'll certainly bring you guys more information about that as it rolls out. And that's it for this week's episode of the Crypto Curious. Thanks for joining us. Please join us again next week. Don't forget to share this episode if you've found something interesting with your friends and family. We'd love to get more listeners along to the podcast. So please do give us a shout out. Join us in the Facebook group as well, which is going well. Don't forget to rate us and review us wherever you are listening to this podcast now. Thank you. Bye for now. Thanks for listening.
0: Cryptocurious is a product of Equitymates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. In a spirit of reconciliation, EquityMates Media and the hosts of Crypto Curious acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea, and community. We pay our respects to the elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Planning for your next trip?